you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to read one verse as we get started out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is God's Word. In this chapter, as we've been seeing in Matthew 5, Jesus is explaining exactly what it means to follow him. He's training his disciples. He's discipling his disciples, his followers. And so what we're reading is like his syllabus. Okay, if Jesus were a teacher, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the syllabus for how to be a follower of Jesus. And as we read this syllabus, we too, we're being trained. And so Jesus began with the Beatitudes which we saw, showing how we can practically experience his blessings uh, in our lives. Um, We can see the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. And if if the Beatitudes show Jesus' plan for life, then the salt of the earth and the light of the world shows the kind of influence that Jesus expects his followers to have on others. And And it wonderfully summarizes, actually, our theme, our ministry theme for the year, blessed to be a blessing. And so we're beginning now another section. This is the next section in this chapter. And Jesus turns a corner and says something that's actually kind of cryptic. Um, If you're not aware of what Jesus is trying to do. It's something cryptic about the law and the prophets. And it's a little bit out of left field if you don't know who Jesus is talking to. Okay, and so we're going to unpack this today. But I want to give you the conclusion up front so you know where we're headed. Okay, we're going to see that Jesus makes one point here from this verse. And we're going to see that today. And here it is. Jesus came to make the Bible come alive. Okay, Jesus came to make the Bible come alive. That's what this verse teaches us. And if you can understand this one point, then the Bible will go from being a dusty and outdated book on the shelf to becoming a book that gives you life. Life. And so, let me just start by saying, when Jesus uses the phrase in verse 17, the law or the prophets, what that is, that's just a shorthand way to to refer to the whole Old Testament. Okay? So the law and the prophets is a reference to the Old Testament. And he says, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. And so the first question that hits me is, why does Jesus say this? Why does he say this here and now? Kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, you need to understand that in Jesus' day, the Bible had become dead. Okay, in Jesus' day, the Bible had become dead. And in the 14 verses prior to this one, Jesus is trying to reboot Judaism from his day. Okay, and, and Judaism, religion, it needed a reboot. Okay, I know many of you have had the experience with your computer or with your phone, right, where you download an app and it's not well written. You know, and you try to run this program or this app and all of a sudden everything freezes up. Right, have you had that experience? You know, your phone doesn't work, your computer locks up, it slows down, there's all kinds of problems with it. You know, you, you download an app and it crashes your system. 
causes your phone to crash. Well, there were a bunch of apps that had been downloaded into the Judaism of Jesus' day. Okay, let me tell you about a few of them. The Pharisees, they wrote and installed an app. And here was the app they installed. It's, it's that blessings come from obedience, from strict, rigorous, frankly, heartless obedience to all of the 613 commandments that are part of the Old Testament. And these leaders, these Pharisees, they talked about obedience, but they didn't obey themselves. They were hypocrites. And this obedience app, it actually crashed the heart change in the Bible. The Sadducees were another group of leaders at the time. They installed an app that said, no, 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 no. Blessing comes if we'll just compromise our faith with the Romans who are oppressing us. Okay, during that time, Israel was oppressed by Rome. They were under the thumb of Caesar. And and the Sadducees wrote this app that said, hey, we just need to make nice with them. We need to compromise. Don't worry about what our Bible says. Let's just compromise and make nice, and that's how we'll be blessed. And their app crashed what the Bible taught about God and what the Bible taught about the Jews supposing to be different from the rest of the world. Crashed that app. Killed the Bible. Then there were the zealots. Okay, the zealots, they installed an app on Judaism that said, no, 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 blessing comes from violence. Violence. We're under oppression. Hey, we're God's people. We need to grab our swords and fight. We need to overthrow the Roman oppression. If we do this, if we all band together, God will show up for us. And God will give us victory over these evil Romans. The problem with that app was that it crashed what the Bible taught about mercy, what it taught about humility and servant leadership. And then finally, the fourth group, the Essenes, they installed an app that said that blessing comes from isolation from the evil culture and the evils of our world. Okay, And their app crashed what the Bible taught about actually loving the world and, uh, and serving your neighbors. And so with each one of these apps, they were all attempts to define what Judaism is supposed to be. These were all groups of folks that said, if you want to know what it means to be a Jew, this is what it is. Here is the definition. And all of them claimed that they were properly interpreting the Old Testament. That they were the truest expression of Judaism. But each of these apps was like a virus. It was like a virus. And they killed Judaism by cutting the people off from God. And so the Bible was dead in Jesus' day. The Bible was dead. Um, Judaism and the Bible, they were dead. You know, I just to kind of illustrate. Have you all ever seen this? This is Judaism in Jesus' day. The blue screen of death. When your system is so plagued by problems that all you can see is this blue screen and if you don't hold the power button down for eight seconds or longer, you cannot hope to ever get your computer to function again. So, in the Beatitudes, okay, when Jesus went up on the mountain and began to teach his disciples, in the Beatitudes, Jesus was uninstalling these apps and he was restoring God's factory settings. Okay, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what the, the Beatitudes are doing. They're uninstalling all the garbage that was installed onto religion, onto Judaism, 
and he's restoring God's factory settings. For you Mac folks out there, I'm sure there's a joke for you that, no, 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 actually he's installing iOS you know, X onto his PC, and that's what makes it run so well. Um, but that's, uh, that's another discussion. <clears throat> so here's what's interesting, is that as Jesus is rebooting Judaism, um, what he doesn't do in the Beatitudes is he doesn't quote the Old Testament. Okay? He doesn't quote the Old Testament. All the other folks that he was correcting, all those bad apps that were written and installed, all of those folks were quoting portions of the Old Testament because they were saying, hey, you know, this, oh, this passage of Scripture supports what we're saying about violence or about compromise or about obedience. And Jesus doesn't quote the Old Testament. And so it would be natural if you're listening to Jesus and you're following along in his syllabus, that he's coming to be the king of Israel, that he's coming to restore uh, Judaism, it would be natural for you to get the impression that Jesus was starting this new thing and leaving the Old Testament behind. Okay? That's just that's what would be natural if you were following along with Jesus. And so Jesus anticipates that concern, and he clarifies in verse 17. That's what he's doing. He says, after the Beatitudes, after you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, he says, do not think. I know what you're thinking, right? He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Do not think that I have come to do away with those things. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But to fulfill them. And so Jesus came to resurrect the Bible to resurrect the Bible, and to make it come alive. Jesus came to make the Old Testament come alive. Now, how does he do that? Well, he restores its original meaning. Okay, that's one of the ways Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. He restores God's original intention. Okay? The Beatitudes show what exactly God intended for life when he inspired the Old Testament to be written in the first place. And so Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets by bringing their full meaning to life. And if you read on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually going to give you specific examples of ways that he brings the meaning and restores the original meaning to the commandments in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus does this not just in his teaching, but even more so, Jesus brings the full meaning of the Old Testament out in his life. In his life. John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh. When Jesus was born, God's Word became flesh. And it dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus made the Bible come alive in his words, in his actions, in his attitudes, in his relationships. He literally brought the Bible to life. You can see the Bible in flesh and blood when you look at Jesus. So he fulfilled it. So now if Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, how does that help you understand the Bible? I know a lot of us, we struggle. There are portions of the Bible, after reading it even for 20 plus years in my own life and really studying it, there's parts of the Bible that make me go, huh? 
How does this work? Or what is this about? Or, or how do you understand that? I mean, we all deal with that. And so how does understanding this about Jesus help you understand the Bible? Well, we're actually going to spend the next four weeks answering that question. Okay, about how to understand the Bible. But today, we're going to see how Jesus helps us understand and interpret the Old Testament. Okay? Now, with regard to this verse, this verse is pretty famous in scholarly and in Bible commentator worlds. Thousands and thousands of pages have been written about how to understand what Jesus means when he says, I have not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. There's all kinds of people that have argued and and, and debated and and disagreed about all kinds of ways to try to understand what Jesus means when he says, not abolish, but fulfill. Because anybody who reads the Bible can see that some of the stuff that was going on in the Old Testament doesn't keep going on in the New Testament. So isn't that abolishing? Well, but then why does Jesus say he didn't? You know, I mean, so these are some of the questions that we'll, we'll look at as we, uh, as we go over the next four weeks. But I think the best place, because so much of the debate comes into what does Jesus mean by saying, I have come to fulfill. That word fulfill. It's super important. If you can understand that word, you've got a shot at getting what Jesus means. And so in the midst of the thousands and thousands of pages that have been written about what that word means... I'm going to teach you the real truth. Okay? I'm going to teach you the real truth. Now, I'm actually just going to remind you of what the best way to start studying the Bible is. Okay? If this word fulfill is so important, then I think the best place to start is to actually ask Matthew. So what does this word mean anyways? Because Matthew doesn't just use this word fulfill here in chapter 5, verse 17. What's interesting is that in Matthew 5.17, this is actually the seventh time Matthew uses the word fulfill. It's the seventh time. Wink, wink. The seventh time. That's Bible code for, hey, this is the big one. Okay, that's the Bible shouting out, pay attention to me. Right? Seventh time! Seventh time! Okay, that's, that's biblical code. That's, that's, the Bible. that's the actual Bible code. Don't read the book Bible code. This is the Bible code. That when the seventh in a series comes, that is significant. And it's really interesting that Jesus says this unbelievably profound thing, and it's the seventh time the word is used in Matthew. And so for us to say, well, okay, Matthew, what does this mean? Matthew says, all right, well, just look at the other places leading up to this point where I've used this word. And so what I've done in your bulletin is I've put the previous six uh, places where this word fulfill is used. Um, And so what I want to do is I want to walk through not all six of them, but I want to give you a sampling just to get you started so that you can learn how this word is used, so that you can apply how this word is used to other parts of the Bible. And so let's just start with the second there on the list, Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says there, um, Joseph arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, now 
if y'all were here when we preached through this, you'll remember that the reason why Joseph was running and his family was running from Herod was because Herod declared war on all the children who were two years and younger when he found out that a new king had been born. Herod didn't want a rival, and so Herod killed all of the male children living in the region where Jesus was born to try to do away with a rival, you know, prospective rival. Now, what's interesting is that that just so happens to be exactly what the Pharaoh did in the book of Exodus during the time that Moses was born. Okay? And it just so happens that when Joseph flees to Egypt um, and then stays there till the death of Herod, it just so happens that verse uh, verse 15, where it says, out of Egypt I called my son, that that's a reference to the Exodus event. Okay? It just so happens. This is a complete coincidence. There's no significance to it at all. No, no, no. completely significant not a coincidence at all not a coincidence at all what Matthew is saying here is that Jesus is fulfilling the Exodus story okay Herod acted just like the Pharaoh of Egypt and Jesus fills the part of Moses Moses because after chapter 2, in chapter 3, Jesus actually fulfills the baptism of Israel through the Red Sea. Okay? Because after Moses was born, Israel leaves Egypt in the Exodus and goes through the Red Sea. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized and he fulfills Israel's Red Sea crossing. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' desert temptation fulfills Israel's desert wanderings. Right? But where Israel grumbled and complained for 40 years, Jesus successfully trusted God during his 40 days. You see the parallels there? And then here in chapter 5, Jesus happens to climb up on a mountain and then happens to deliver a new law to a new Israel. And so we see in chapter 5 that Jesus is actually fulfilling Moses climbing up Mount Sinai and getting the Ten Commandments and delivering the Ten Commandments to Israel, again, in the book of Exodus. And so Matthew is teaching us that Jesus brings the Exodus story to life. He's saying that Jesus fulfills the role of Moses. He's like Moses, only he's even better. He's bringing an even better Exodus And when you see the parallels, it helps you understand more about what Jesus came to do. Because when you compare it to Moses and the Exodus, you understand that Jesus' salvation and his blessings bring freedom from slavery. Not physical slavery, but slavery to sin. Slavery in bondage to our addictions, to the habits that we have. Jesus came as a new Moses to set us free. Jesus, and so this is what Matthew is saying. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. He fulfills the Old Testament. And so next, let's look at, I want to look at three other passages together because they all cover the actual, they're, they're all from the same book. They're all from the book of Isaiah, okay? And so they're the first one, Matthew 1, 22 and 23. 
The virgin birth took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But then if you jump down to the fourth one in your list, Matthew 2, verses 22 and 23, it says there, being warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And again, I preached on these things. You can go back and look. You can listen to the, the sermons back then in more detail. But then look at the last verse on the page. Matthew 4, verses 13 and six, uh, to 16. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This passage comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And so these three places, Matthew is saying, Jesus is fulfilling the book of Isaiah. The storyline of Isaiah is coming true. It's, being, it's coming to life again in Jesus. Now, the book of Isaiah, it's a really long book. It's 66 chapters. It's huge. It's really easy to get lost in the book of Isaiah. You start reading, you think, well, where am I again? I forgot. Like, I have no idea where I am. I'm lost. It's, it's a challenge to read the book. You have to read it a few times to get it and try to outline it. But the book of Isaiah is filled with glorious promises, amazing promises that God would send healing and restoration. Um, when Isaiah was written, um, God's people, they had, they basically left him. You know, the bad apps that were running in Jesus' day, they were installed a long time ago even. Um, the people in the day of Isaiah, they were disobedient, they were selfish, they were, um, they were, they were just in a world of hurt. And so they were experiencing judgment. Um, you know what? I'll say it like this. The book of Isaiah... Well, okay, let me stop again. The people in Isaiah's day were experiencing God's judgment and discipline because they had, they had wandered in, just they had wandered so far from God's purposes. They had wandered, and, and so God gives them these promises. He gives them these amazing promises that though they're experiencing judgment, though they're going through hard times, though life is crumbling in on them and they're being oppressed, God made these promises that there's coming a day when God is going to return and bless his people. And the promises there are not just that God was going to come and bless his people, but the promises in the book of Isaiah also include that the people of Israel are going to wake up and see the light. That the people of Israel are going to be transformed. And they'll experience God's blessings, and they'll actually then share God's blessings with others. They will be the light of the world. They will be the salt of the earth. And they, by God's power, by God's spirit, will bring God's blessings to God's world. 
Like, that's what the book of Isaiah is about. Matthew is saying that Jesus came to make those promises come alive. That if you want to understand Jesus, you can read the promises in Isaiah and see that they come true in him. It's kind of like a script for a play. Okay, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, was like a script that was given to the nation of Israel. Okay, it was kind of like God wrote out this script, this is my plan. God says, I chose you. God says, I loved you, Israel, and I saved you and I blessed you. And I want you guys to understand my blessings. I want you to live in my blessings, and I also want to give you a mission. I want to give you a mission. My mission for you is to be the salt of the earth. It's to be the light of the world. I mean, this is the same mission that God gave to Abraham way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. When he said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God's blessings were free to Israel, but they came with a script. Right? They came with a script. Like This was like a script. God would say, okay, my blessings are free, and here's how I want you to use them. I want you to bless the rest of the world. I want you to show everybody else how amazing it is to be in a relationship with me. I want them to see me through the way you treat them. Here's how you do it. Does that make sense? Now, the tragedy was that Israel took the script. They took the script that God gave them, And they chucked it. That's what they did. They said, God, we want your blessings, but we don't want the responsibility of having to share them with other people. So, instead of being the light of the world, instead of being a lighthouse, we're going to build mirrors so that we can experience the fullness of your light. Because we love your blessings, God. But the rest of the nations? No, 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 no. That's what landed Israel under Roman oppression. That's, the, that's what caused God to judge them and discipline them. That's why when Jesus came, Israel was in desperate need of a new exodus. They needed a new Moses who could bring them out. And so when Jesus came, he said, I haven't come to abolish the script. Jesus actually comes and he finds the script. And he picks it up and he says, you know what? I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to make this script come to life. I am going to be what Israel was always supposed to be and never was. And so when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, Jesus is saying, I am coming to experience this world, to bring God's blessings as far as the curse is found. 
That's what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to take the script and to bring it to life. Jesus' life, he, he lived the mission that God gave to Israel. Jesus is like the true Israel. And he's got his disciples gathered around him on a mountain because he's saying, look, this isn't just my mission. It's yours too. If you want to follow me, the blessings are free, but I'm calling you to be the salt of the earth. I'm calling you to be the light of the world. And that's either the most frightening thing or the most empowering thing, depending on how you look at it. Because on the one hand, you might be frightened, you might think, well, how in the world could I do that? And if you're in that place, Jesus says you're blessed. Because Jesus says, blessed are the humble. If you are humble and realize that you can't do this on your own, you are right where I want you. You are the salt and the light. If you think you can't do this without help. But Jesus says, I am with you. I am with you. He says, I have come to fulfill the law to teach you what it really means, but I have come to bring it to life. And so no, you can't do it on your own, but I can, and I will. I will do it on my own. I will do it for you, and then I will do it in you and through you. And so Jesus' call for us, his call for us to follow him, it means that if the idea of being light and salt, if you can't do it, then humble yourself and ask him for help. Confess, you know what, Jesus, I'm too poor spiritually to be able to pull this off. Jesus says, if you believe that about yourself, then you're blessed and yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says, all you need to do is hunger. If you hunger for me and my ways, then I will satisfy your hunger. I will give you the righteousness that you need. I will give you the character that you need. I will give you the power that you need, the development. I will renew your heart. I will fill you because I will come and I will be in you. Romans 8.4 says that those who walk by the Spirit fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So Jesus says, I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. I've come to bring it to life. And when you begin to follow Jesus, his power and his presence comes in you, and you begin to bring the law and the prophets to life. You begin to show in flesh and blood God's design, God's intention for the world. We, uh, we issued a challenge last week 
30-day challenge. Read your Bible every day for 30 days. Like 45 people took that challenge. It's awesome. I'm praying for them. Um, we've sent them some resources to help them as they, uh, as they progress over the next 30 days, some ideas of how to do 30 days of reading. Um, there's still time to jump into that. If you want to do that, you can let us know by you know, putting it on the connection card or just coming and, and letting us know. Um, we'd love to pray for you and support you over the next 30 days. Um, but um, one of the folks sent me this email this week because her desire is to be salt and light. And so, and she said this, she was reading Psalm 19 this week. And she said this, she said, this is what God showed me. She said, if Psalm 19, verse 7, you can flip the page over, pack to page 5 if you want. It says that the instruction of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. She says, if Jesus is the fulfillment of that law, that means that Jesus is perfect. In every way. She said, God taught me that about Psalm 19. Then she said this. She said, if Jesus is the fullness of the law, and heaven is eternal togetherness with Jesus, and Psalm 19 says, um, more are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, in verse 10, she says, That means that heaven, then, is sweeter than honey and purer than gold. And I find that future worth enduring today's present troubles. It's good. And then in her efforts to try to shine the truth to others, this is what she said. She said, I've been asked many times why I'm such a happy person. And she said, I've never been ready with an answer to that question in the way I think that the Bible would ask me to shine my light. But she says, now I can tell people that in Psalm 19, it says that God's instruction gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. And so what she's done is she's taken Psalm 19 and she's seen how Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the one who brings that psalm to life. And so it's taken on new meaning and new depth. And now it's enabling her to shine the light. So she is now bringing that passage alive in her life. And so, as you read the Bible, like here are just some real um, down-to-earth application kinds of things when you crack your Bibles today, tomorrow, this week, this month. Thinking about the Old Testament... Let's think about just the stories for now because we'll talk about the commands in weeks to come. You want to ask yourself, how does Jesus make this story come alive? That's a good place to start. You read and then ask yourself that question. How does Jesus fulfill this? How does he make it come to life? The heroes in the Bible, they're pictures of the ultimate heroic work of Jesus. Right? They all shine light on the things that our ultimate hero does. The problems and the tragedies in the Bible, they're examples of the ways that people, slash we, misuse or break God's blessings in our lives. And the judgments in the Bible show us the ultimate consequences of misusing God's blessings. Okay? 
And then the blessings, the good things we see in the Bible, these are examples of the blessings that Jesus brings to those who follow him. Okay? I mean, so it's, it's, it's just, it's that simple. The heroes look like Jesus. The problems, the brokenness, the tragedy, the sin in the Bible reminds us, they're examples of how we actually break God's laws. We, we, we sort of vandalize the good world that God made. And the judgments show the ultimate consequences of those things. And then the blessings show the kinds of things that Jesus brings to those who follow him. You know, the cross of Jesus is the ultimate expression of what our sins deserve. And yet the glory of the gospel is that we're not on it. Like we're, Jesus is on the cross dying for our sins. And so he comes into the world to make the Bible come alive, but he takes our deadness onto himself. He enters into our existence so much so that he takes on our sin and our brokenness, and he dies for it. But then he comes out the other side. In the resurrection, Jesus conquers sin and death. In the resurrection, Jesus brings power. He shows that he is more powerful than our sin and than death. And that gives us life. That gives us life. And the resurrection is the thing that breaks heaven open and allows the blessings to flow down. So Jesus brings it to life. May you devote yourself this week to his word. May you find in the word of Jesus his own presence and his life, bringing it alive so that you can walk as he did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You came not to do away with the script, but you came to do it yourself. You came to fulfill it. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you have brought this Bible to life. Apart from you, Lord, it would be a book that condemns, a book that crushes. But in you, we see grace and life. Jesus, help us as we begin to read for some of us, as we continue to read for so many of us. Help us to see you Help us to understand how you bring the different parts of Scripture to life. Lord, thank you that the stories point to you. Thank you that the heroes point to you. Thank you, Lord, that the judgment points to the cross and the blessings point to your resurrection. Lord, you have loved us with a great love. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would be inspired would be inspired to seek and find you in the scriptures. And Lord, that you would touch us all. Lord, speak to those who aren't yet following you. They're not yet your disciples. Maybe they've never cracked the Bible open at all. Or maybe they have, and it just seems so confusing. Lord, I pray that you would come near to them and that you would assure them that if they 
were just to read what we're going through here today, that they would find you. That they would see in your words in these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that they can find and see who you really are and that you would draw many to yourself. We pray this in your name. Amen.